It's always tricky for a pastor to talk about the hiring of his wife. Um, I acknowledge that. Uh, people on the periphery might see some self-serving. I've had absolutely nothing to do with that. John and the personnel committee will testify, but I am so very grateful. Um, what you... What you get to hear in this room, I've gotten to hear in my home every Sunday morning now for almost 40 years. So I'm so blessed to get to share that, and Cindy is too. And she would have me tell you how grateful she is to have the opportunity to use her gifts in this way. I also want to say, Charlene, thank you for John Lewis's story. You know, most of you know that we lived for two, I worked for two and a half years in D.C., lived there almost three years. And uh, one day I was sitting in the concourse at Washington National Airport, and I actually was on the phone. I had an earpiece in. I was talking to Cindy. She was probably with the grandkids. You know, that's where she likes to be. And uh, I was waiting, probably waiting to fly back to Texas to be with her. And sitting in the concourse had a long wait. And you know where I'm going with this. Uh, I see along the concourse John Lewis coming with an aide. And yes, I did. I went up and talked to him. And uh, yes, I am tall, and yes, he is not. And, but goodness, he towers over me. Uh, and I got to tell him that. And uh, it was probably the greatest privilege of my whole time in D.C. was to meet John Lewis and tell him how much I loved him and how grateful I was uh, for his constant, uh, gentle yet tenacious voice calling us. To equality. Hear the word of the Lord from the book of Psalms, chapter 40, verse 1 through 11. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the desolate pit, out of the miry bog. And set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Happy are those who make the Lord their trust, who do not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after false gods. You have multiplied O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us, none can compare with you. Were I to proclaim and tell of them, they would be more than can be counted. Sacrifice and offering you do not desire, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, here I am. In the scroll of the book, it is written of me, I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. See, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your saving help within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. Do not, O Lord, withhold your mercy from me. 
let your steadfast love and your faithfulness keep me safe forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, we are grateful for your presence in this room. And as we pause on all that you are, we are reminded of all that we are not. God, we are fallen creatures, and we tend to listen to voices sometimes that are proud, that are not your voice. God, forgive us of that. Heal us of that tendency. And God, open us to your grace, to your truth. God, to your very presence, open us this morning. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts together be found acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I do want to acknowledge this morning that I am not an Old Testament scholar. I also want to acknowledge that Bill Bellinger is working on a new book on Psalms. God's grace abounds. This morning's text bears the truths that we claim as a church of Jesus Christ. It proclaims in beautiful poetry the rich and wonderful qualities of God. I can almost hear the psalmist singing of God's mercy, righteousness, love, and faithfulness. The poet singing to himself, to the community, to the world at large of their God, the one and only God, the only God worthy of their praise. But the song begins with a different tone. The psalmist is singing about patiently waiting on God to answer his cries for help. We hear about muck and mire and slimy pits. The psalmist is singing about pain and loss, emptiness, and hurt. When the psalmist sings about patience, it seems almost as if there's no other choice. Haven't most of us all experienced that? A form of forced patience? Many of you know the movie The Shawshank Redemption. It's a prison movie. It's been out for 26 years, so I'm not going to be too concerned about spoilers this morning. (laughs) The main character, Andy Dufresne, has been convicted and sentenced to life in prison for murder. His friend Red is also serving a life sentence. We know that Red is guilty. Andy, we're not so sure. After many years in prison, Andy and Red become best friends. At one point, Andy locks himself in the prison office and plays a beautiful Mozart opera duet through the prison loudspeakers. After spending two weeks in solitary confinement as punishment for this act, Andy and Red have this exchange. Andy says, that's the beauty of music. They can't get that from you. Haven't you ever felt that way about music? Red responds, I played a mean harmonica as a younger man, lost interest in it though, didn't make much sense in here. Here's where it makes the most sense. You need it so you don't forget. 
forget. Forget that, that, that there are places in this world that aren't made out of stone, that there's something inside that, that, that they can't get to, that they can't touch, that's yours. What are you talking about? Hope. Hope. Let me tell you something, my friend. Hope is a dangerous thing. Hope can drive a man insane. It's got no use on the inside. You better get used to that idea. People have always struggled with the question of hope. Here's an example. The Heidelberg Catechism is a Protestant confessional document from 1563. It actually begins with this question and answer. What is your only comfort in life and in death? Answer, that I am not my own, but belong, body and soul, in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. It's not a bad answer. It's actually a pretty wonderful answer. We are not alone. We are not our own, but belong to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And yet we still struggle. One of the things I absolutely love about being a minister is hearing your stories. I truly believe that it's a holy privilege for someone to share their story with me, no matter how deeply they wish to go. I know that I am never the same after I hear your story. Your story becomes a part of my story, and I'm grateful beyond words. I know that Vernon Davis told you our story when you were deciding to call Cindy and me to come and share life together. And while I'm sure Vernon did a good job, I'd like to share a part of that story myself. It just seems only right that even as you share your stories with me, that I share mine with you. Please know that I share our story not because it's unique or special in some way, because it's, it's really not. Your stories are just as important and instructive as my story. I tell it only to take the risk that it might be helpful to you in some way. Loss comes to all of us sooner or later, and one of the ways that we cope is drawing on each other's stories. I believe that was what the psalmist meant when the psalmist says, he set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. I think the psalmist may very well have been talking about community, a community whose stories weave in and out of each other in supportive acts of love. Isn't that so often true? That our community becomes our refuge, our place of safety, our rock? On June 1st, 1999, Cindy and I were returning from a choir tour to Germany with about 25 people from Washita Baptist University. We were in charge of the group and also had our three daughters on the trip. I was the conductor of the Washita Singers, one of our university's choral groups, and Cindy was our accompanist. Our oldest daughter, Becky, and our middle daughter, Rachel, actually played flute and oboe on one of the selections that the choir sang on our concerts. We arrived at DFW Airport in the late afternoon 
and cleared customs. As everyone in this room will understand, it was one of those typical late spring days when lines of thunderstorms were making their way across the entire Southwest. We were delayed at DFW due to the weather, but finally left at 11 that night. Our arrival in Little Rock coincided with the arrival of a severe thunderstorm with torrential rain, hail, and 80 mile an hour winds. The pilots were unable to stop the plane and we went off the end of the runway. The plane collided with runway landing, that's easy for me to say, runway landing lights. It split in two and broke into flames. There were 135 people on board that night. 11 died either at the scene or later at area hospitals. Our Rachel was the last to die after two weeks in the burn unit at Arkansas Children's Hospital. The rest of our family's injuries were emotional and spiritual. Where was hope for us during those days? It's a great question. Hope was not found in the platitudes that sometimes came our way. Words like God has a plan and God is in control were just not helpful. I was unwilling to think that God's plan included the incompetence of an airline and their flight crew. Words like God needed another angel were belittling of both God and our Rachel. Cindy and I questioned many things in those days and the days following. And we continued to ask ourselves a few specific questions. We asked, how do people deal with loss without a community? During the days, weeks, and months after the crash, I read the newspaper in a new way. I saw the news of so many people dealing with loss, car wrecks, homicide, terminal illness. I realized that many, if not most of those people, were facing loss without any kind of support from others, without an empathetic and loving community to care for them. Cindy and I had multiple groups that seemed to know just when to lean in and just when to give us the space we needed. We also asked, how do people deal with loss without faith? I still simply cannot imagine how people cope with the loss of those they love without the hope we claim of resurrection. I acknowledge that heaven is something that requires an honest struggle. But as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, I also must proclaim that there is a resurrection and Jesus the Christ has led the way. Our hope in a resurrection to come is central to finding hope for this mortal journey. Cindy and I wondered why we were spared when others were not. After 20 years, I still try to figure out what that means. I try to live a faithful life day after day after day. And some days I actually succeed. A lot of days I fail. Probably the most difficult thing that I eventually learned was that I was actually stronger because of that experience. 
God used all that happened to change me, and I would never be the same. It was an excruciating discovery for me because the cost was so very high. I could never deserve something that cost the life of my precious daughter and the others who died. But I didn't get that choice. By far the most important part of my experience during and after the plane crash was this. I never once felt that God was not present. Before we got out of the plane, as we were making our way through the exits, as we were gathering in the wind and the rain, trying to find shelter, as we made our way out of the crash site for two weeks at the hospital with Rachel, I never felt that God was not there with me. God crying God's own tears as I cried mine. God hurting just as I was hurting. I might even say it sometimes felt like God was asking the same questions that I was asking. That God was as frustrated as I was about what had happened. My experience wasn't all sunny days and peaches and cream. I'm not going to blow smoke at you this morning. The lights dimmed for me often during those days. Despair often sat down beside me and tormented me. But somehow, in the dark, I always sensed that God was there too. And that God would still be there when despair had gotten bored and walked away. And 20 years later, that's still true. God never promised us perfect lives lives free from pain and struggle. But God has promised to be present, to be with us until the end of the age. One of the things that has struck me in just the short time that we have all shared life together is the amount of loss in this community. Cancer, dementia, stroke, death, loss. And every single one of those stories of loss told to me included a chapter about how the Lakeshore community rallied to help. In these stories, I heard over and over and over again how people in loss and grief were surrounded by the people of God who call themselves Lakeshore. The community, this community, has been the rock sent from God and described by the psalmist. There are a myriad of ways to engage hope. Shawshank's Andy and Red had their ways. We all have our own. Sometimes we find it in the stories of others. Sometimes we find it in deepening relationships with those around us. Sometimes we find it by working to release ourselves and others from unreasonable expectations. Some find it in friends. Some find it in coaches, counselors, or therapists. Sometimes we find hope in doubling down on spiritual disciplines. Sometimes we need all of the above. Wherever we access hope, however we access hope, we must acknowledge that hope comes from God. Hope is God's gift to us. Hope comes from the one who is joyful when we are joyful and hurts when we hurt. A creator who walks beside us in both the brightest 
and darkest moments of our lives. The one who is present with us when we just don't know how or why. Here's what I can say to your loss and sadness. Whether your loss is big or small, though you may be disappointed, shattered, hurting, and empty beyond words, God hurts along with you. How do we know this? It's because of the incarnation. It's what we celebrated last month. God putting on human skin. Emmanuel means literally God with us. Because our Creator became one of us, we know that God knows what it means to hurt. And because we believe God is present with us, we know that God hurts as we hurt, even as God jumps for joy when we're glad. In our joy and in our pain, God walks alongside us. And because God walks our journeys with us, we know that God is on the side of the downtrodden, the powerless, the marginalized, those who are empty of heart. God knows what it means to hurt, what it means to be empty, what it means to lose hope. That is the gospel. Our experience is God's experience too, because God loves us so very much. We find the evidence on a wooden cross and an empty tomb. To know that God, to praise that God in both our joy and in our pain, our thriving and our suffering, our fullness and our emptiness, is to experience the honest hope of joy that we will someday have forever. We find our hope in the God who joins us on the journey, who sings along with us the songs of joys, joy and the songs of lament, whose very presence empowers us to engage our callings for another day. Our hope is ultimately in the one who walks before us to light our path, who walks beneath us to catch us when we fall, who walks behind us to keep us moving on the journey, who walks above us to shelter us with God's wings, who walks beside us to experience all that we experience and walks within us to remind us constantly of whose we are. Back at Shawshank, after Red is finally granted parole, he finds a letter left for him by Andy. Here's what Andy says to Red. I could use a good man to help me get my project on wheels. I'll keep an eye out for you and the chessboard ready. Remember, Red, hope is a good thing, maybe the best of things, and no good thing ever dies. Indeed, my friends, hope may sometimes be hidden, but hope never dies. Thanks be to God. Amen. I'd like for us to take a few moments to let Holy Spirit continue to speak wherever you are, in whatever way you listen. <clears throat>